And so it is all about the gospel. And I want you to turn in your Bibles with me today to Titus chapter 3. We're going to be in this passage last week. We were in 2 Timothy. And you know in the last part of 2 Timothy chapter 3 and chapter 4, it talks about how in the last days things are going to get tough. That in the last days, people are going to be lovers of self rather than lovers of God. In the last days, people are not going to want to hear truth. Does that sound like the world in which we live today? Like truth is something that is tossed aside. Or actually it's not. Actually what we live in in the world today is everybody wants to talk about and hear about their own truth. In other words, we've redefined truth. And the way that we've redefined truth is we've redefined it in whatever way fits our narrative, fits our story, fits where we are. And so that's what 2 Timothy chapter 3 and chapter 4 talk about as Paul wrote that pastoral epistle, that letter to Timothy. Today we're going to be in the book of Titus, which is also one of the pastoral epistles along with 1 and 2 Timothy, a letter that he wrote in 63 or 64 AD, and he writes this letter to Titus to remind him of some very important truths, to remind him of what, how important it is that sound doctrine is held on to. And man, that message could not be more relevant then, and it certainly could not be more relevant today, that sound doctrine is something that we hold on to. He also, in this letter, wanted to make sure that, that Titus understood to encourage and to tell others about how important it is to, uh, to live right, to live differently. And then he also wanted to make sure that he kind of accentuated or underscored what he talked about when he wrote to Timothy about the importance of the local church and the leaders within the church to make sure that, that people were doing the right thing in the house of God. And so with this prescriptive letter that he writes, it's only three chapters, a small little letter, but today we're going to be in chapter three because I think with, with that purpose in mind... It's very clear in chapter 3 that Paul kind of like, like, like made sure that, hey, he wrote it in a couple of paragraphs here, like, like make sure you get this. And he writes that to, to Titus, but he writes it to us. Make sure you get this, because today more than ever, we need it. And so I've entitled today's sermon, The Change Order. Now, you know, if you're in construction, if you're a contractor, you know that the one thing that you love more than anything else that you do is you love the change order. And you love the change order because you know that when you, as a contractor, give a bid to someone about how much a project is going to cost, that, that you give them that bid, they sign the contract, you begin working, and then you pray that the owner of that, that project, the person who's building that project and paying you to build it, that you hope and pray that they come and visit that property often. Because you pray that when they walk in, they're going to come in and say, you know, hey, what if we did this? And how about if we change this? Or maybe we can add this, because that's called the change order. And change orders are where projects that might cost $10,000 quickly get to $20,000. It's where they go up in value. It's where the, the, the value and the cost goes up. And similarly, today in this passage that we're going to be talking about, and I've entitled the change order for this reason, is that when we do the things that God gives to us through the Apostle Paul here in a prescriptive way, like we apply that into our lives and we, we make that part of our journey part of our own construction, our value begins to climb, that our, our relevance and our importance in the body of Christ begins to grow. And so that's what we want to talk about. So I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to Titus chapter 3, and we're going to begin reading with verse 1. And it says this, remind them to submit to rulers and authorities, to obey and to be ready for every good work 
to slander no one, to avoid fighting and to be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. For we too were once foolish and disobedient, deceived and slaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. But when the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy, through the washing of regeneration and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, He poured out His Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone, but avoid, avoid foolish debates and genealogies and quarrels and disputes about the law because they're unprofitable and they're worthless. Reject a divisive person after a first and a second warning, for you know that such a person has gone astray and is sinning. He is self-condemned. And so today what Paul has kind of given to us in this passage in Titus chapter 3 is this, is that each and every one of us, we have a calling to be different in a difficult world. In a difficult world in which we live, we have a calling to be different. We've been called to act in a way that doesn't line up with what we are expected to line up with, that a way that is different than we are born with, that we're naturally inclined to. In fact, in this passage, he says in verses 1 and 2, remind them to submit to rulers and authorities and to obey, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, to avoid fighting, to be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. That word there in verse 1, that word submit, basically is the idea of a willingness to do that which does not come naturally. In other words, every single one of us in this room, you know what we are naturally born to do? Can somebody tell me what we're naturally born to do? Well, let me ask you a question. Are we born to obey? No, we're born to rebel. Like we are born to be wild. That could be a song. Born to rebel in our culture, born to rebel in our lives, in our journeys. Like, like we are born with this natural sin nature that is trying to keep us away from what God wants us to be. And so we're called by God here to live different in a difficult world. Let me ask you a question. Do we live in a difficult world? We live in a world that's gone mad. We live in a world that's gone crazy. And so Paul writes it right up here up front to Titus like, hey, remind them, like remember, make sure you get this, to submit. And he goes on to say, to rulers and authorities. And this lines up with Paul, what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 13 and, and in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Like make sure that you understand that you must submit to those who are in authority over you. Now that too is something that we're not naturally inclined to do. Am I right about that? How many of you love April 15th? Like one guy. We're going to have to talk afterwards, okay? Oh, that's your anniversary. Oh, okay, there we go. That makes sense. Thank, thank you for covering, clearing that up. I was going to have to do church discipline. So, um, <laughs> like none of us like to pay taxes, right? I remember Jonathan Jr. when he first got his first job and he was like 17 years old and he got his first paycheck. Man, he was so excited. He came home with that check. And, and we actually, you know, we filmed it. We got videotape of him opening his very first check. And so he got the check. We're sitting there. Sherry and I were there. And he's opening the envelope. And he, he pulls it out. And he looks at it. And, it, and instantly, his, not, his eyes were not drawn to, like, how much the check was. His eyes were drawn to how much was taken out, right? I mean, I think all of us do that. Like, like what in the world? Who stole my money? 
But yet God's word says this, submit to those who are in authority over you. It doesn't come naturally, but we've got a responsibility as believers, as followers of Christ to live different in a difficult world. We must submit to authorities. Romans chapter 13 tells us that God put those authorities in place even when we don't agree. That's tough, isn't it? Even when they are doing things that we don't agree with, that we don't like, people that we don't vote for, like, like even then we have to submit to the authorities who are in, in authority over us. And how do we do that? Yeah, we do it by paying taxes. We do that by obeying the speed limit. We do that by all those kinds of things. We do that by voting. Coming up a couple of days, November 2nd, Tuesday, it's election day. And let me just tell you something. Yes, you have a responsibility, a God-given responsibility to vote. You have a duty. And we live in a world today where, man, we have a voice. God has given us the opportunity to speak. He's given us the opportunity to, to share and, and to speak in those kind of settings. And, and the way that we speak in that kind of settings, we vote. Now, listen, unlike, you know, certain people that we know we have government, government officials that like right now by way of video are speaking in churches all over the Commonwealth of Virginia to tell people who to vote for. I've never told you who to vote for, and I never will tell you who to vote for. But I will tell you how to vote. And the way I tell you how to vote is, man, you make sure you look for the person that is absolutely in favor of defending and protecting unborn life. You look for the person who is passionate about standing up for traditional values and standing up for religious liberty. You vote for that person who is going to help you as a family do better than do worse. Yeah, absolutely. Find that person. And I think everybody in this room is smart enough to go and look up like the issues, look up the values, look at the different sides and who thinks what and who is going to vote which way. And you vote for the person that lines up, not with your truth, but lines up with biblical truth. And man, we've got a duty and a responsibility to do that. And Paul, and listen, some of you say, I can't believe he's telling us how to vote. God told you how to vote. And so we got to recognize and understand, man, we got to submit. And so this passage tells us, like, like we've got to submit. First uh, Timothy chapter 2, Paul writes, man, you've got to pray for our authorities. And man, it's easy to pray for those in authority over us when we agree with them, isn't it? It's easy to pray for people in authority over us when we voted for them. Oh, but wait a minute, you put somebody in office you didn't vote for, is it easy to pray for them? It's not, but God commands it. God requires it of us. Why? Because we have to be different. We have to do that which doesn't come naturally. But now in Acts chapter 5, we also know this, that there are times that the government will tell you and require you to do things that go against God's Word. And in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, we're also given very a clear statement, a clear picture that we have a duty and a responsibility to obey God rather than man. And so, yes, we submit, and yes, we obey, and we do all those kinds of things, but we ultimately recognize that we are not of this world, that we are citizens of heaven, not of the earth. And so Paul says this to Titus, like, hey, remind them to submit to authorities and rulers and, and to obey and to be ready of every good work. But verse 2, listen to what it says here. To slander no one and to avoid fighting, to be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. Now you see the natural contrasts that are found in that verse, right? So it starts with a statement like to slander no one and to avoid fighting. Did you know that when you look at that word slander there in verse 2, you ought to circle that? It's the actual Greek word blasphemeo. Blasphemeo. Can anybody tell me like where the, that word blasphemeo, why that kind of sounds a little bit familiar? The word for slander. Can anybody tell me? It's where we get the word blasphemy, right? And so what Paul is writing here is like, hey, don't blaspheme anyone. 
You're like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. Like if I told you, hey, don't be a blasphemer, all of you would say, well, of course not. I'm not going to be a blasphemer. But here's what Paul writes, and according to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes these words. He says this, slander no one. And what slander really is, is when you have a desire to put someone else down, to put them at a lower notch so that you can elevate yourself. And here's how we do it. We do it through gossip. We do it through talking about people and talking towards people. We do it about posting about people. Man, I've told you and I'm not even going to get into a day. It drives me nuts when I see Christ followers who are sitting on Twitter attacking everybody that breathes. I mean, everybody. I can't believe that. It just drives me nuts. Stop it. Why? Because God's Word says slander no one. And so we have a responsibility, man. Don't slander anybody. It also says in this passage, again, slander no one, avoid fighting. <laughs> Spend some time on social media, won't you? Avoid fighting. Man, absolutely. It is critical as followers of Jesus Christ that when people look at you and they see you online, when they see you in social media and you sit there and you've got your profile of saying, you know, God so loved the world or, you know, God has called us to be different. And then you're sitting there attacking and fighting with people and calling them names. Let me tell you what you're doing. You're doing a disservice not only to your name, you're disservice, uh, doing a disservice to the name of Jesus Christ. Man, we've got to, according to God's word, man, slander no one, avoid fighting. But here's the contrast, ready? Here's the contrast. Here's what God's word says. God's word says it this way. So instead, be kind. If the church of Jesus Christ today could just figure out this one thing, these two words, and get this right, thing, to be kind, I believe we'd see revival in our land. Because today, the world so often is resistant to the gospel of Jesus Christ, not because of the content of the message, because of the character of the messenger, because of who we are and what we do. They resist the message of the gospel because of how we live. And so Paul writes these statements, hey, be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. So kindness, gentleness. Wait a minute, that sounds familiar. Where else in Scripture do I see somewhere gentleness and kindness that are put together? Can anybody tell me where else we might find that? Fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. So God says this, like when you come to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, comes alongside. He comes inside of you. He is with you every step of the way to lead you, to guide you, to comfort you, to encourage you, to change you. And a fruit of that presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is gentleness and kindness and love. And there's a list of others there. So in other words, if you're a follower of Christ, the natural reflection of what Christ has done in you is that you will be gentle and kind. So ask yourself the question, are you? Ask yourself the question, are you? Now, I've got to be honest with you. People around you can answer that question of you. If you were to sit there and ask other people, hey, am I kind? And if they were honest with you, man, you might not like what you hear. And so we've got to make sure, self-evaluation. Paul says these. Go back to verse 1, the first couple of words. What does he say? Somebody yell it out to me. First couple of words. Somebody with their Bible open, what are the first two words of verse 1? Remind them. So in other words, self-evaluation, what do we do? We submit, we obey, we don't slander, we don't attack, we don't fight. Oh, and we're gentle and we're kind. And that's what Paul said. Why? Because we have a calling from God to be different in a difficult world. 
But then we also recognize as we continue reading this passage that calling is something that comes from our changing. Look what it says in verse 3 through 5. For we too were once foolish and disobedient and deceived and enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy through the washing of regeneration and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. That phrase there, you ought to underline your Bible, the washing of regeneration is literally a picture of cleansing us from sin. That word renewal is becoming a new creation, like all the former has passed away and everything is made new. Not every Everything is made a little bit better. Not everything is like incrementally better or it will slowly get better. All the former things have passed away and everything is made new. And so what we recognize is that this calling that we have to be different in a difficult world is a calling that comes through the changing that God has done and is doing in our lives on a daily basis. You look at this passage and recognize clearly in verse 3, it says, For we too were once, and then there's a list of things that we were, which reminds us of this. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about this too. Like we were once dead in our sins. Remember that? Like that we're born with a what kind of a nature? Sinful nature, right? It's natural that we're going to do the wrong thing. We do not have to be taught to disobey. That's something we're born with. When I was born, when I was a kid, man, I was like, you know, I'm just telling you, my mom and dad did not have to sit me down one day and say, okay, today, Jonathan, we want to teach you how to be disobedient. I had that one down. And I think all of you had it down as well. With my four kids, Jonathan, Jessica, Nicholas, and Natalie, when they were born, Sherry and I never had to sit down and say, okay, here, guys, listen, we want to teach you something. This is a life lesson that will change you forever. Here's what we want. We want you to learn how to be really, really bad. We didn't have to teach them that. They won awards in that. I mean, they were good at that. Why? Because we all are. We all mess up. We all sin. We're born with a sinful nature. It comes natural. It comes in who we are. It comes the moment we take our first breath. And so this passage tells us and reminds us like, hey, verse 3, for we too were once like that. Romans chapter 6 verse 20 also talks about how the, the fact that we were slaves to sin. And you know what a slave to sin is, right? A slave to sin is like, really, you can't get away from it. And so verse 3 says, for we too were once like that. But then look what verse 4 says. But then it says, but when. I love that. But when. Romans 6.22 talks about that too, right? So we were once slaves, slaves to sin. But now we have been set free from being slaves to sin. But now guess what we are? We're slaves to God. You see, the problem we have is that so often in the Christian walk, we think that because we are born with a sinful nature, because we were once dead in our sins, that then when we come to Christ that we have been set free, that we are set free to do whatever we want. The grace of God is not a, a, a line item, a statement that God gives to us and said, now go do whatever it is that you want to do because you have been set free. No, Romans chapter 6, verse 22 says, But now, since you have been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God. So in other words, we are not free to live however we want to live. We're not free to do whatever we want to do. We are actually set free from our sins so that we can do what God wants us to do. 
And so we recognize, as he says here in verse 3, for we too were once bad, verse 4, but when we experience the salvation of Christ, not by what we've done, you cannot work your way to heaven, you cannot be good enough, you cannot be smart enough, you can't do all the things that you need to do to get there, works will not get you to heaven all the religions of the world, let me just remind you, works do not get you to heaven. Works will not get you to heaven. Only Jesus Christ can do that. And so we recognize here that we were once dead in our sins, Ephesians chapter 2, but then we are made alive. Made alive through what Christ has done. You see, our calling to be different in a difficult world comes from the changing that God is continually doing, that constant regeneration that He has made in our lives. He saved us once, once and for all, but then every day the Holy Spirit of God, man, is with us, renewing us every single day. And you know why that's so important? It's because that change, that change leads to our hope. And you know what the hope is, right? Heaven. Look what it says in verse 6. He poured out, poured out His Spirit on us abundantly, like lavishly, generously. He poured out His Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we have become heirs with the hope of eternal life. That word justified, you ought to circle it, underline it, highlight it. You ought to like my star it, like point arrows to it. Justified is such an important word. Because what that word justified really gives us a picture of is to declare us, to declare you, someone who is a sinner, who is lost, who has no hope whatsoever, to declare them as being righteous. Like, like we are different than we are born. Newt Larson put it this way. Listen to these words. Our justification, our salvation is a legal term describing a guilty person before the bar who is then pronounced blameless by the judge. This does not mean that the individual has been found guiltless. Instead, it means that the person has been released from guilt, his offense paid for. All of this is by God's grace apart from human merit. In other words, it has absolutely nothing to do with what you've done. It has absolutely everything to do with what Jesus did. That we are justified, that we are made right with God because of what Christ has done. But, now this is important, look what it says in verse 8. This saying is trustworthy. In other words, the way we would say that is like, like this is the real deal. Like, this is, this is true. Listen to this. I want you to insist on these things, Paul writes, so that those who have believed God might be careful to devote themselves to good works. These are good and profitable for everyone. So in other words, we are made right with God by what God did, not by what we do, but because we have been made right with God because of what He has done, then it ought to naturally then turn into us doing right because of what He did. In fact, we look in, in different commentaries. Edmund Hebert said it this way, the practice of good works is the logical outcome of a true apprehension of the grace of God. In other words, we are not saved by our goodness, we are saved by His grace, but because we are saved by His grace, then we sure better be good. And man, we live in a world today that doesn't get it. Because everybody wants their own truth. And everybody wants to do what they want to do. And everyone wants to live however they want to live. And even if they say, well, I have been set free. I've got liberty. I've got grace because of what God has done. I can do whatever you want. Baloney. God's Word says this. Live differently. 
Live according to the principles of God's Word. Obey, submit, remember. He makes sure to say like over and over again, do not miss this. We are called to be different. And it's only when we get this, when we start to live differently, that the world will then look at us and see something that is different that actually attracts them to Christ rather than repel them. And I think the church of Jesus Christ has done a really good job of repelling. We're not always doing a really good job of attracting. And you know how we attract? By just simply being who God has called us to be. Jesus saves. He died and he was buried and he rose again. Believing in him is the only hope for salvation. That he is God's son and that he did die and that he did rise. And that's the only way we can get the promise of eternal life in heaven. It's the only way we can have that hope of eternal life is through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And today if you're sitting in this room and you've never come to that place, then you've come to the right place. Because today... What we preach and what we share and what we sing about and what we will always preach and teach and share and sing about is this, is that Jesus is the only way. And so today, if you've not met him, I pray right now that you will. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for who you are. God, I pray right now in this moment that you would give us strength, that you give us wisdom, give guidance. God, we need it. We are a broken people. We have challenges and heartaches and heartbreaks at every turn. God, in every moment of our lives, we're wondering how we're going to make it through. God, we thank you that your word is so clear, that you're with us every step, that you never leave us and you never abandon us. Thank you, God. But God, today also we've talked about how that you require of us to be different. So Lord, I pray that today that we would recognize that requirement, that we would live up to that potential and that calling that you have for us to be different in a difficult world because of what Christ has done. And I pray that that's the decision that we will make. And God will give you the praise for it. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, in a moment we're going to sing and our, our team is gathering here at the altar. It's a moment of invitation, a decision that we have in every service that we do. A moment to actually respond to what God has been telling you. And so if you're here today and you've never met Christ as your Lord and Savior, man, we'd love to talk with you about that. Our team is here. We'd love to just say, hey, let, let me tell you about Jesus. We'd love to do that. And so if you've got a question, if you've got a concern, I mean, I just encourage you, come on down. We'd love to talk with you in a moment. Maybe today what you need to do is come here, kneel at this altar and say, God, I've not been living differently. In fact, God, I've been living the way the world does, and I'm sorry, and I want to change it. 1 John 1, 9, written for Christians, followers of Christ. Like, hey, if we confess our sins, that he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So maybe today you want to come and kneel here and say, God, I'm sorry. Maybe you want to come today and kneel here and pray for a family member or a friend. Maybe you want to come here today and kneel for a, pray for a marriage that's broken. Maybe you want to come and join our church or come for baptism. Well, whatever it is that God is speaking to you today in this moment, as we stand right now, do not neglect the calling of God. And if he's calling you right now to make a decision, then I pray that you'll respond and that you'll answer. Let's stand together and let's sing. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, 
this solid rock, firm through the fiercest drowning storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving seems my Father, today we thank you that we can stand in who you are. God, we know, as this passage told us today, we were once like the world, but because of Christ, we've been set free. Because of Christ, we've been changed. And so, God, I pray that we will leave here today with a renewed passion and a desire, a zeal to live for you, to live different in a difficult world, God, because of who you are and what you've done. God, give us the strength, the wisdom, the willpower to stand firm in who we are and what we believe. And God, for that, we'll give you the praise. We'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our altar's open. Our team will be here. We'd love to talk with you if you want to come down. Don't forget, Iman and Mary Lolas are out in the lobby. They'd love to talk with you. They'd love to have an opportunity of, of uh, meeting you and talking with you. Tonight, Kids Carnival, come on back and be a part of that. And then... Come back next week as we continue studying God's Word. God bless you, and have a great day. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this journey of faith in Jesus Christ. So send us an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, well, we're here to help you. So just reach out to us. We'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. And if you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, then go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.